Let's do some basketball real quick before we open the Bible. Uh, is Bill Broyles in the house today? Is he here? Is he away from us today? I think he might be away. He's the principal at Monacan High School, one of our members. And we want to give a shout out because the boys and the girls basketball teams won the state championship. So even though he's not here, let's give him a shout out. Okay. That's incredible. Uh, the chances of that happening are slim and not. And we just thank Bill for his leadership and all the staff, the coaching, and all the players. It's just really incredible. So we thank God for using him as a leader at Monacan High School. Now to the Bible. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 40 in the New Testament. If you want to follow along on your own Bible or your Bible app, the words will also be on the large screen here in front of us. Hear the words of our Lord. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. So Jesus is talking about this judgment that will happen someday. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes to clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. Today we come to the final part of our Lenten series here at HRBC. The series is called Fear Not, and each Sunday we've been looking at different fears that we face. We've looked at five of them through the series. In case you may have been away or, or maybe you're new to us, the quick recap. We fo started out focusing on the fear of missing out, which is the fear of what others think of us. And then the next message was the fear of disappointing God. And then the fear of not being enough. Like we don't amount to enough. And then we focused on the fear of change. And then today we're going to be focusing on the fear of others who may be different than we are. Now if you've missed some of the messages, you can request a DVD from our church office. Uh, the, every service is filmed on DVD, as Jimmy Fallon would say. So check one of those out. Or you can go to our church's website, click on the tab, What's Happening, you can see all the sermon podcasts right there. And 
You can even find the sermon notes from the bulletins and the bulletins themselves. So you can kind of get caught up as we focus on the final message in our series. Because during the series, our purpose has been that we desire to live by faith and not in fear. We don't want to miss the blessings that God has in store for us. We don't want to live in fear and miss the desires of God's heart. Remember the words of Paul in 2 Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. So today's title is The Fear of Those Who Are Different. And as Christians, our hope is that we can put our fears aside and truly be the church that God has called us to be. Our key thought is how, uh, or the question, how can we be a house of prayer for all nations? As Isaiah 56 says, we are called to be a house of prayer for all nations. But if you look around the church today, not this church necessarily, but thinking of the greater church, are we truly a house of prayer for all the nations. Often, if we're not careful, churches can become islands among themselves where people are all the same. Intentionally or unintentionally, churches can focus on people who look like them, who act like them, who talk like them, who dress like them, and we will miss the people that God desires we reach. And we know this is not the way that Jesus taught us to live and be. Remember that Jesus said in the Great Commission, All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, not just some, of all the nations, all the people, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And while you're doing that, remember, I'm going to be with you to the very end of the age. But we struggle with this, don't we? We just do. We struggle with reaching people beyond our social and racial and cultural context. It takes me back to something that Martin Luther King said back in 1963. Not long after he gave his famous I Have a Dream speech, he was invited to Western Michigan University to participate in a dialogue. And during a question and answer session, he responded to a question about the church. And he said, we must face that in America, the church is still the most segregated major institution in America. At 11 o'clock on Sunday morning, when we stand to sing that Christ has no east or west, We stand as the most segregated hour in this nation. And he says, this is tragic. As recent as last year, LifeWay Research polled 1,000 pastors. And 86%, basically 8 of 10 of the pastors, said that they have congregations with one predominant racial ethnic group. Ed Stetzer, who does research for LifeWay and who spoke at the Baptist statewide meeting last fall here in Richmond, is quoted as saying, quote, surprisingly, most churchgoers are content with the ethnic status quo in their churches. 
Most of us, he's saying, are comfortable with things just as they are. In a world where our culture is increasingly diverse, many pastors are talking about diversity, it appears that most people are happy where they are and with whom they are. I'm comfortable with people who are kind of like me. Let's just be honest. That's just our comfort zone, kind of natural. Maybe it could be that we grew up in a place that wasn't so diverse. A lot of you come from places like that. Others may have been raised in a family where there was prejudice, and this is really a hard stretch. You didn't really know anything else, and it's, there's a learning curve. Or maybe some of us are afraid because of some of the things we see in the news or read on the internet or see in the, read in the newspaper that we are afraid of people who are different because we don't know what their agenda might be. And so we shy away and we tend to be among ourselves. In today's political climate, I believe that fear has resulted from much of the rhetoric concerning refugees and immigration reform. I don't know where you are on that. This is not a political debate. This is God's time. But it just helps to challenge me to step out of my comfort zone to be willing to engage with people who may practice a different religion than me or who may have a different language than me or who come from a different socioeconomic or cultural background than I do. If we're not careful we will forget that this nation was built on immigrants. How often do you enjoy going to a restaurant that is not American? Think about it. That's just one of the basic things that we take for granted. And we must not forget that religious freedom is what makes our nation such a great place to be and to live and to raise a family. We have freedom of worship here in this place. And we want other people around the world to have that. And so we've got to remember that is so important to us. We don't want to fear people who are different because God may desire that we reach them for the Lord. We know that the Scripture teaches that heaven will be filled with people from every tongue, every tribe, and every nation. And we know that Jesus taught his disciples to pray on earth as it is in heaven. Churches are called to be houses of prayer for all people. So how can we embrace a culture of Isaiah 56, 7? How can we become or continue to grow into a church that is a house of prayer for all peoples? I believe that it's a process. I believe that with the grace of God that we can continue to make strides to get to that place. Here are a few things that might help us. First, we would remember... That when we serve others, we serve Jesus. Matthew 25, verse 40. The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. Have you thought about it? If that verse is true, and it is, if we, if we simply take it, at its best, at its truth, then Christ is present in those whom we encounter. Christ is present in the guest who comes. Christ is present in that person whom we don't know. And if we pause and, and 
counter people with that mindset, then we start to see the reality of what it means not to fear people who are different than we are because Christ is present in those people. One of my favorite authors is John Ortberg, and in one of his recent books, he writes of the way that Christians responded with compassion in the early centuries where disease was rampant. And he cites Dionysus, a third century bishop in Alexandria, who acknowledged how Christians themselves got sick and died from smallpox when they were ministering to people with smallpox. They took literally the the call to serve among the least of these. And in the early centuries, Ortberg continues to write and says the disease of leprosy meant isolation, uncleanness, and death. And a church father named Basil had an idea, and he said, what if we build a place where we love and care for lepers? They don't have money. They don't have a place to stay. They don't have a way to pay for it. We'll raise the money. And one of the famous sermons in that century was by his brother, Gregory of Nyssa, also an early church father, and it was the sermon idea was to raise money for a place to take care of lepers. And this is what Gregory said. Lepers have been made in the image of God in the same way you and I have, and perhaps preserve that image better than we. Let us take care of Christ while there is still time. Let us minister to Christ's needs. Let us give Christ nourishment. Let us clothe Christ. Let us gather Christ in. Let us show Christ honor. And that was the beginning of what would become known as hospitals. The Council of Nyssa, the same council that affirmed the Nicene Creed, decreed that wherever a cathedral existed, that there would be a hospice to care for the diseased and the lepers who could not care for themselves. That is why many hospitals today have names like Good Shepherd, Good Samaritan, or St. Anthony. Cathedrals had hospices, and those became what we now know as modern-day hospitals. And it all happened because someone had a vision of caring for the least of these, taking literally that verse, Matthew 25 and verse 40, that when we do that, we serve Christ himself. Whatever you do for the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did for me, says Jesus. When we serve others, we serve Jesus. We can also think of ministry as inside and outside. It's not all about the church. It's about the church, but it's about people who are outside as well. Romans 12, 13 in the New Living Translation says this, when God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be ready, always be eager to practice hospitality. And that verse where he says God's people, those are the saints. Those are the hagios. The word saint is hagios in the New Testament. The people who are set apart for the gospel. That's the church So always be ready to serve the needs of the hagias of God's people, that we are to care for one another here in the church. But then he, in the scripture, it says, practice hospitality. And the word hospitality is from a word that is two, philos and xenos. Philos and xenos. 
philoxenos. Philos means brotherly love, and xenos means stranger. You've heard the word xenophobia. Xenophobia is a fear of foreigners. Philoxenos is the love of foreigners, the love of strangers. Brotherly love to people we don't know. And so the church's mission is to serve those who are the saints, those who are in the church, to care for one another, to love one another, to feed one another, shelter one another, to encourage one another, to build each other up. But we are also called to go, therefore, out into the world to minister to those who are on the outside of our church community. Jesus modeled this. He ministered to all sorts of people outside of the the normal religious and social and cultural boundaries. He fed the multitudes. He welcomed the children. He welcomed the outsider. He healed the leper. He ate with tax collectors and sinners. He truly loved those who were on the edges of society. He models how we are supposed to act today. Let's build bridges and not barriers. We are called to build bridges, not barriers. The world puts up enough barriers. We don't want to try to keep anybody out of the church. You remember the story of Jesus as he encountered the woman at the well? She was a Samaritan. This is in John chapter 4. And the scripture in in verse 4 says, Now Jesus had to go through Samaria. He could have gone around, couldn't he? Sure he could have. He could have done a big bypass. He could have taken 295 to the east or 288 to the west. We ain't going down there. All right? Let's go through the suburbs so we don't have to bother with those people who are like, not like us. But he had to go through Samaria. It was his mission. And he encountered her at noontime, a time when she would be by herself. And the disciples had gone off. And it was not appropriate for a rabbi to be talking to a woman, let alone a Samaritan woman. But Jesus engaged with her and he shared about her the living water and she went off and she was able to tell her her whole community about the transformation that she had experienced because she had met this rabbi Jesus. And then he told his disciples what he had done when they came on the scene and they had an opportunity to learn from the one who was teaching them. Bridges, not barriers. And this is something that I believe we all struggle with. And that is the fourth point that I want to make, is that we seek God's help to see others through God's eyes. 1 Samuel 16 and 17, the story of young David. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. Speaking of one of the other brothers, the Lord does not look at the things people look at. Uh, People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord looks at the heart that we could see other people as God sees them. And then in Acts 10.34, Luke writes, Peter began to speak. Now I realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. That God is not a respecter of persons. That God views all of us 
as children of God and all of us as people in need of his grace. I pray that God will help me to be able to see others whom I encounter through God's eyes. It reminds me of an old story. You might have heard it, but it's so meaningful and so relevant to our topic today. There was a young boy who was walking home from school in a small town where he lived, and every day he would walk by this little small pet shop. And one day he's coming home from school, and he looks in the window, and there they were. Five small black puppies. He was so excited. And he ran home, and he told his mom about the puppies. I Pet store's got a new litter of puppies, and oh, can I have one, please? Can I have a puppy? Please, please, please. You can just imagine him tugging at her clothing. Please, can I have a puppy? And probably having heard the story before, maybe she said, okay, it's time. If you save your allowance, and if you take good care of him, and feed him, and clean up after him, I'll let you have the puppy. So excited, they go back to the pet store, and he gets into the store and he asks the shop owner to show him the puppies and he tells them that he wants one and they go over and he sees, the, the boy sees one puppy in the back corner of the little area, the pen and he tells the pet shop owner he says, I want that one. You don't want that one. Yes, I do. I want that one. You don't want that one. He's crippled. One of his legs doesn't work right. Why don't you choose one of the other ones? And then the boy lifted up his pant leg and showed the shop owner his metal brace. And he said, I want that one. And he took him home. How can I see others who may be different the way God sees them? It's amazing how few of us believe in the unqualified grace of God. That God loves us as long as we're just like everybody in the mainstream, as long as we're clean and whole and fixed but it turns out that what disqualifies you and me from spirituality, the mess of our lives and our crippledness, is what most qualifies us to be chosen by Jesus. This helps me to envision that the church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum of saints. There's a good song by a group called the Wallflowers, and let me quote a couple of the verses, and then we'll pray. In the backwoods of the country and the empire state, wherever there's somebody at the crossroads that waits, at the junction of right now and a little too late, you'll see one before you with wide open gates. It's a hospital for saints. It's a hospital for sinners. Ain't a museum for saints. It's a shelter, a poor man. It'll shelter a poor man. It'll humble the great. It's where derelicts and outlaws can hide for a day. 
The worst hearts you've known can be salvaged and saved in the same room that lovers' vows are exchanged. It's a hospital for sinners, ain't no museum for saints. Yes, we are called to be a house of prayer for all the peoples. Who are your neighbors? Who is in your class? Maybe they talk different, have a different accent, or look different than you. Who is in your cul-de-sac? Who is down from the cube in your office? Who are the people God is calling you to step out in faith to speak to, to build relationships with, and perhaps... Maybe, just maybe, God will enable you to share the love of Jesus with them and tell them about what God's doing here at Huguenot Road Baptist Church. Maybe you'll learn a little bit about what it's like to walk a day in their shoes. And maybe, just maybe, God will open the door to their heart. I don't know how the conversation will go. I don't know what will happen next, but one thing I do know, whatever we do for the least of these God's children, we do it to Jesus. Would you pray with me?